people of God have been rescued out of slavery in Egypt and they've spent 40 years in the wilderness and now they're camped on the edge of the promised land and Moses is speaking to them. Deuteronomy 7, we'll start at verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him, he will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. All right, and we're going to read Hebrews 4, starting at um, verse 1. Therefore, oh, sorry, this is page, what is it? 1205. 1205, Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jenny. Uh, good morning, all. Morning, someone's awake. Morning, are we awake? Yes. Uh, I am excited to be together, and I just think it is such a gift uh, for us to be able to meet week in, week out, and actually hear this word from God. And why don't we just pray as we come together for a moment? Heavenly Father, what a gift it is that we can gather. Uh, Father, gather around your word, hearing it. Father, that you would speak to us. Reveal yourself to us so that we might know you, know that certain hope of rest in the future and the delight of rest now. And Father, we pray that you might, by your spirit, apply these wonderful words to our hearts and our minds and our lives this morning, this very day. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we do have uh, many reasons to be tired and weary, don't we? Uh, I just think of the, the home cycle. I just think, oh, the food, the cooking, the eating, the floor, mess on the floor, that's my wife, not me, the jokes, not you, Miri. Uh, I just think of the washing up, the dishwasher, the unpacking, the cleaning, the food, the, it's just these cycles everywhere, the, the clothes. How can you eat food and get it over your clothes every single time? Every dinner time at the moment, Luca is going through this stage where he spills milk. You know the saying, no, you know, don't cry over spilt milk? I tell you what, it is so frustrating <laughs> every single night to have spilt milk. Uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to getting out of is that we've had nine years in nappies in our family. We are close to the end and I cannot wait to be out of that nappies. Uh, many of us here are kind of in the squeezies. I heard this um, term, you know, we've got kids that we're looking after, but we've also got our parents who are ageing and need care. But while in the midst of uh, work and burdensome and demanding work, uh, so, you know, busy jobs. And friends, don't you just find yourself just longing for a breather, for a rest? You know, whether it's a full night's sleep or a holiday by the sea or the mountain, or if you're Hendry, a holiday in a city, I don't know how that's restful, but that's what Hendry loves. Uh, and, you know, friends, we just are burdened and weary by all sorts of things in life. And, that, you know, there can be just the mundane physical things, but they can be other things that are very real and burdensome for us. You know, the, the stress and the burden of trying to provide for the family, uh, interest rates are going up. Uh, the stress and the burden of uh, messy relationships, you know, your family your close friends, it doesn't matter what you say, you can never kind of seem to put your words right and you're always dealing with complications and flow-ons from your words. You know, you, many of us just live. 
with this guilt and shame of things that we said or we didn't say or we should have said, and they're just weighing us down. Friends, you know, Jesus came to us offering us true, real, lasting rest. And this is what we're thinking about this morning. There's a rest that we all want. Here's on the slide, here's, these are the very words of Jesus. I think they'll come up here. In, in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, doesn't that sound nice? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, here Jesus is offering something far deeper, far more significant than physical rest. He's offering us spiritual rest, rest for our souls. And it's often, I think, in life that our unrest and our burden are because of this deeper spiritual reality that we all have, this unrest with God. You know, our selfishness in our relationships our pride in the workplace, our anger at our kids, our self-righteousness with our friends, all symptoms of this greater burden that we carry, this, our sin before God. And Jesus uniquely says to us, he can deal with this. He can offer us rest with God, rest from the guilt, the shame of the things we thought the things we've done, the things we've watched. Uh, Jesus, he takes the penalty we deserve on the cross. Rest from the weariness of trying to please and be good enough for God, as though somehow you can earn your way to God. No, Jesus is, God in God, Jesus is completely satisfied. But friends, clearly the rest that Jesus is talking about here is a kind of active rest, right? You know, we are to take his yoke upon us you know this isn't kind of the rest feet up around a pool now this is a, a a way of life kind of rest that jesus is offering no longer under the burden of religion but like a farmer playing the field you're attached and yoked to jesus and he can take our rest and our burden we can learn from him for in some of us here might not know this rest that jesus offers and it's a good day to Reflect on where you're at. Do you know this rest that Jesus offers? A good day to be here at church. But some of us here, we know it, uh, yet our experience of it is mixed, isn't it? Like those who originally heard the sermon to Hebrews, uh, you've got the pressures, the anxieties, the disappointments and fears of life weighing you down. And you can be tempted to abandon God to drift away from the very one who offers to give you this rest. This morning, I just want us to uh, know afresh this rest that Jesus offers. And really, I think what Hebrews wants to do is just urge us to continue on with him so that we might reach that heavenly, eternal rest and that would do that by holding fast. So I have three points. The outline uh, which you have on your way in, you know, good luck trying to fit it in those, how that's been apportioned, but... You'll get the point. The first thing um, the Hebrews author does is he wants to give us a loving warning to learn from Israel's history. He wants us to not be like them, but to have obedient faith in Jesus. Have a look at what he says, verse 1. It'd be good to have your Bibles open. 
uh, open them up there. We'll be working our way through it. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So firstly, he's saying this promise of rest that was given, the good news given to them, still stands. The nation of Israel is like a pattern that we're to learn from. When we're to not be like them, but we're to be different. Uh, see, Israel, the nation, which we kind of read about as they were camping just before heading to the promised land, were in slavery in Egypt. And God had promised to take them from slavery into the promised land and the land of Canaan, the land of rest. For us, God has given us a, a promise that he's going to redeem us from, through Jesus' death from, from condemnation in, in sin through this world of hardship into rest of heaven. Now, the good news that the Israelites heard, it didn't benefit them because a whole generation died in the desert apart from two people. Only two made it in. And that's a significant warning for us, isn't it? So we, if we're like Israel and turn away from the promise of rest, we too might find ourselves missing out of the joy and delight of heaven. But why, does, why did they fail to reach it? Why did, why did they? Like God had done so much for them, why did they fail to reach this rest, the promised land in Canaan? Well, verse 2, we're told it's because they were not united by faith. Have a look there. It says we... They, they, the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. So they didn't believe it. They didn't trust it. They all heard it, but they didn't believe it enough to trust and obey it. Now, it is interesting to answer that why didn't they answer, uh, enter because the passage also gives us other reasons, doesn't it? Do you have a look at um, why Israel didn't answer? Verse 2 is because of they weren't united in faith, but verse 6 uh, in verse 11, we're told they failed to enter because of disobedience. Or if you have a look at the verse just before our section, 319, they're unable to enter because of unbelief. So it seems like the, the preacher, the author here, is uh, kind of using faith and obedience almost interchangeably. See, faith in the gospel is an act of obedience. Uh, when Jesus commands us to repent and believe... And we do, we see him for who he is and we say, I want to trust him and throw my lot in with him. That's an, an obedient act of faith. That's acting in faith by obeying his command. Uh, see, obedience is kind of a concrete expression of faith in, uh, in the Bible. Uh, the, the kind of best example I have or the best example that the New Testament, one of the examples the New Testament holds up for us is Rahab, right, in the city of Jericho. I don't know if you know this, the land that they were entering, there was Jericho, a place, and she was uh, from Jericho. But when she had heard from the messages that this land was going to be given to, the, to Israel, what does she do? She hears the word, she trusts it, and she, and she kind of saves the messages and sends them home and hides them and sends them home another way. Uh, she acts in faith and obedience, she, uh, she, she hears it and she does something about it. Um, now, it was only Rahab that was spared, wasn't it? The whole city had heard that God was given this land, 
to Israel, but it's only Rahab who was prepared to believe and trust these words and, and change her size that she was living for. See, in other words, I think what Hebrews is trying to say, if you really trust God, uh, you will obey his words and live for him. Yes, we will fail. Yes, we need to all constantly seek forgiveness, repent, but we will day by day be living for him. See, the warning for us is that it's possible, right, to be here at church hearing of this good news, hearing of this rest, hearing all that Jesus has done for us week in, week out, yet at the same time not have saving, obedient faith. It's a clear warning, isn't it? Be fearful. Not fearful of not what's going to happen, but fearful of missing out on this rest. Learn from Israel history. Don't assume that because we're here week in, week out, or you are in a growth group, that you're on your way to heaven. The author, he wants us to have obedient faith, to live for God no matter what the cost. That's my first point. Uh, and the, the next point, I think, is somewhat uh, simple at one level. You know, the next point from verses 3 to 11, he's really just saying the promise of rest is still open to all Christians. Sweet. So keep trusting and following Jesus. But then as you kind of dig into it, it could be a little confusing, can't it? When, what rest is he talking about here? Is this a past rest, a future, a current rest? Is this a rest just for the nation, Israel? Uh, to kind of work out through what exactly this rest is, I want to ask the question, what is this rest and when do we get it? So firstly, what is the rest? Have a look in verse 3. Uh, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now we get rest a bunch of times there, but in verse 4, the author is kind of taking us back, right back to the creation narrative from Genesis chapter 2 uh, and chase it up later. But what you have there in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creating the world for six days. Uh, but then on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, why did he rest? You know, did he need a nana nap because he was tired of working? No, it's because he was creating and establishing this thing called rest. The Sabbath rest or the seventh day. Now, the interesting thing about this seventh day in Genesis is, unlike all the other days which have a morning and evening, there's this real cycle, what happens in the seventh day it stays open. It, it, it doesn't end. Uh, it keeps going. It's, it's like it's, it's set up this rest that's meant for eternity, eternal rest. So I think what's going on is God has put in creation the purpose and the point of creation. The rest, the rest we were created for, is this kind of uh, internal fellowship with God. It's being in his presence being in his company, the delight and the joy of being with God. That's the rest that we're all created for. Now, this is great news, isn't it, for you and I, as you think about that and reflect about that. You know, like, we weren't made just to pursue stuff. You know, our meaning, our purpose, our identity isn't in job, house, car, 
family, relationship, you know, how fit you are or unfit you are, how tall you are, how short you are, what, whatever it is, what clothes you wear. No, there's something here about how, who we are intrinsically that is valuable, that, that is beyond what we can achieve by what we do, but it's about being in relationship with God. It's about knowing and being known by God. Friends, no wonder all the things that we look to constantly let us down because we were made for something much deeper, this spiritual reality to enjoy God and delight with him and be in fellowship with him. Now, if you know the story, Genesis 2 doesn't last very long, doesn't it? We get straight to Genesis 3. And while they had this fellowship with God, they lost it. They sinned the fall. And ever since that moment, every single person has been out of fellowship with God. They've been out of that rest with God. And that is why I think we are constantly burdened and wearied. Ever since we have born into an, a fractured relationship that we're out of that rest that we're created for. And from that moment on, God has promised to redeem his people, to bring them back into his rest and so that we might be able to enjoy God and delight in him once more. And so, the Old Testament, we get kind of these patterns that emerge for us, these patterns of rest. And so, they're kind of meant to be like signposts that are to point to us to this eternal rest that we're created for, this fellowship with God that we're created for. And so, the first one we get is the Sabbath day. You get this uh, kind of in the law of God. He, um, he lays down the law of the Sabbath. Uh, so what are we talking about there? This is when Moses is up on the mountain, the Ten Commandments. God has saved his people. And he says, this is how you're to live as my saved people. And so we get one day of the week. It was Saturday for them, at which they were to, as a nation, to set aside and to, was dedicated to enjoy God. It was to remember the salvation won for them as he brought them out of slavery. But the second kind of signpost, the second pattern we get is this promise of the promised land, the land of Canaan, uh, which was to be rest from their enemies, a place for the people of God to go to to escape slavery and rest in peace and security in the land. See, both of these two patterns, these two um, uh, signposts, kind of are supposed to point us to the greater rest. And so now... When we hear about the good news that Jesus offers, we're not like promise, we're not thinking about a promised land, but a promised king. It's not a temporary rest to a temporary problem, but an eternal solution to the permanent problem of sin. And that in verse 3 is the rest that when you trust and believe in Jesus, that's the rest we get to enter into. That's the rest that is, is ours in Christ Jesus because of what he has done. Now, friends, the rest that Jesus offers, it's not this kind of version of rest that you kind of long for, you know, more sleep or help with the nappies and a good sunset. No, this is rest fellowship with God, what we're created for and in Jesus what we've been redeemed for, uh, eternal fellowship with God. That's the first point. What is this rest? Eternal fellowship with God. Secondly, when do we enter it? Now, it seems from verse 11 that we have to strive 
to enter this rest. That's a kind of a future thing. But then from verse 3, that when we believe we've entered this rest, that it's ours now. So do we have this rest kind of now or is it in the future? Well, uh, some commentators, they will say that this rest is all about the future. It's all about the new heaven, the new earth, that you're, that's when you get there, physically, spiritually, with God. And that kind of fits in with the theme of Hebrews, doesn't it? You know, keep going because the best is yet to come. Uh, and I find that truth really comforting. Because whatever joys we experience now uh, for being a Christian, and there are many, aren't there? Uh, this is nothing compared to that future eternal rest that will come. And likewise, whatever struggles or uh, temptations or setbacks you're experiencing now in the Christian life, your eternal rest is secure. It's solid and secure in Christ. And, and we rejoice and delight in that fact that heaven is our home, that this world isn't it, that God is taking us to heaven. And we're going to enjoy him forever. But I am persuaded that Hebrews is actually talking more than just that future rest, but actually there's real rest to enjoy now. Uh, not the complete rest of eternity that will be future, but a partial rest. So I think verse 3 kind of hints to that, but verse 9 and 10 seem to imply there's a sense in which we have rest now. Have a look in verse 9. He says, So then, uh, so that is after his argument about David being in the promised land, waiting for a future rest, he says, So then there remains now a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, I think that the rest now is what he's talking about there in verse 10, is this allusion to the fact that when we believe in Christ, we no longer have the burden of trying to earn that relationship with God on ourselves. It's not our personal merit. And we rest in what Christ has done for us. And so now we live with this partial rest, just like the Sabbath, just like the people in the land of the prophets. Our experience isn't the full experience of what we're going to get. It's a foretaste. It's a spiritual foretaste that will help us continue to hold fast to Jesus and continue on. See, we live by faith now. Uh, we enjoy spiritual rest, real, true spiritual rest for our souls, but we'll experience it fully, deeply, physically when we get to heaven. See, what I'm saying is the now but not yet, the tension we live in, uh, which we will fully experience when we reach heaven. Friends, if you want to find this rest that Jesus offers, that God is promising, this rest that you were made for, you need to come to Jesus. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the King of heaven, the eternal rest. And so how do we, as a church, keep the Sabbath rest today? Well, I think ultimately it's by coming and obediently trusting Jesus for this rest. See, the one who will give us spiritual rest now and that will bring us physically to heaven with him. Yes, we all need to rest physically, have a day off. I think that's right and good. Uh, it's good rise. But observe the Sabbath ultimately by trusting and obeying Jesus. Now, he wants to conclude uh, our section to urging us to reach and to strive to enter this rest. Verse 11, he says, In light of all this, because the rest still exists, 
and we have it now, but we're going to have it fully in the future, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. When he says strive to enter that rest, he doesn't mean that we save ourselves by trying hard. He does mean, though, that God keeps us on our way to his eternal rest through us striving to live for Jesus today. God empowers, enables, energises us to keep living for Jesus in a way that will ensure we get there. So again, it's this tension. We have this eternal future secure in Christ, so then we strive to enter it and God will empower and enable us to do it. I mean, the key difference for us here in New Testament Christians uh, compared to those of Israel is we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have the Spirit that enables us to say yes to live in God's way. And so we can say no to envy. We can say no to selfishness in our relationships. We can say no to pride and gossiping in the workplace and no to anger and frustration in our kids because God is enabling us by his Spirit to live in obedient faith today. Friends, it's, it is in reality a lot uh, harder to live this out than just to say, oh yeah, we can, that's pretty, that's pretty good, let's go and do it. The reality is it's tough, it's difficult, uh, there's often setbacks. And what is going to help us to ensure that we reach that rest? Well, I think he wants us to actively listen to God's voice each day. That's the point of the Psalm 95 quote, today if you hear his voice. And it's actually the point of the words in verses 12 to 13. Um, that is, his words are a gift to us that will help us reach the rest. So have a look at where he goes in verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom everyone must give an account. It does seem like an odd place for the writer to go after he's told us to pursue this rest. Uh, you know, it seems like, what, where, how do you go here? You know, he's saying, don't give up because the word of God is living and active. See, what's he getting at? Well, he's getting at right now, as we have God's word open, today, as you hear his voice, this is no small, trivial weak, irrelevant thing for you. It's not just an intellectual exercise, it's actually a profoundly deep spiritual exercise that we're doing. The Bible is living and active. God's Word is living and active. And as the meaning of these words gets applied to our hearts and our minds by the Holy Spirit, it actually enables us new birth. It gives us life, it's powerful and effective to create and, re and uh, make us born again. So we get transformed by the inside out. Uh, God's word is living and active, it changes us. But it's, these words are both a warning and an encouragement to us, aren't they? See, the purpose of God's word here is to reveal and judge our hearts. See, how we respond to God's word is how we respond to God. 
And so the warning is, don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can fool God. There's, there's no back door to sneak into God's rest. There's no code that you can type in other than the obedient trust in his way that he's provided in Jesus. And you can't hide it at all. It will all be exposed before God. But on the other hand, I think it's what it's saying is God's word is an absolute gift to us. See, if you think about it, when you open and read the God's word, it pierces our soul. It makes known and discerns the intentions of our hearts. So it's like God is like a surgeon here who cuts open our hearts and sees what's in there and how we respond to how we're hearing. He can, tell, he can see what tumours need to be cut out or what healthy tissues need to be stitched up. Now, this is an amazing gift, isn't it? I know, like it's uncomfortable when I read God's word. It's uncomfortable and often painful because there's things in my heart that I don't want to acknowledge. I don't want to be honest about. And I certainly uh, find it hard to hear when God points these things out as I open God's word. And there's often times when I come to God's word where he and I think differently. And often that means one of us has to change. But I tell you what, every time you open God's word, you have the very mind of God. You have his very word speaking to you so that you can know what he thinks. You can know his judgments now. You can know before you meet him face to face. We have a chance to respond today in faith, in obedient faith, so that when we meet him face to face, we won't be on the wrong side of eternity. God's word is the, like he's a divine surgeon cutting open our hearts and removing the tumours of sin before they kill us on Judgment Day. See, according to Hebrews, there's this unbreakable kind of link between listening and obeying God's word today and arriving at God's eternal rest tomorrow. Friends, can I just say by way of application that this is why like, just turning up to church week in, week out is spiritually healthy for, for us. Week in, week out, we get to hear from God whom we will all give an account to. And he lovingly tells us what he thinks. He lovingly tells us what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus and what it looks like to trust and to follow him. This is why it's so important and spiritually healthily to turn up a growth group. Every time you sit around in that house or that church here, God is working on your very soul by his word. It's such a gift. It's such a privilege. And just by the way, when you invite someone to come along to church, or when you invite them to hear about Jesus, you're not inviting them to hear a weak, pathetic thing that's not relevant to them. No, you're inviting them to hear the very voice of God, to hear the surgeon tell them what their heart is like and how Jesus can heal it, what he has done for them. You, we, you want them to hear the words and speak life into their dead souls. The very words of eternal rest. Friends, while we have this gift of God's precious word and his spirit that transforms us, 
There's another gift in this passage too. I don't know if you noticed it, but the whole way, it's this gift of each other. See, we're not alone in obedient faith. Notice the commands there. Verse 1, he says, Let us fear, not you have to fear, but let us fear, all of us. Verse 11, let us therefore strive, not you alone have to strive. Friends, the, the gift of Christian community and the Christian life is one that's done together. Together we help each other. It's the idea that no man or woman is left behind. It's a powerful work of God when we care for each other, when we speak God's truth to each other, and we help each other to strive for our eternal rest. Now, I'm going to conclude now, but I want to say, we, this week we are going to hear a lot of voices, aren't we? Uh, a lot of voices uh, in the world, Netflix, Insta, Facey, all there filling your mind, getting burdened, overwhelmed and distressed. Friends, you're going to have a voice from within, often that leaves you feeling anxious and depressed. But friends, can I just say, if we keep listening and learning from Jesus, keep looking to him to find that rest for our souls, now and for eternity, then we'll be in good way. Let me pray now that we would hold fast to this. Heavenly Father, the reality is we are so burdened and weary on every front. And Father, we just want to praise you for that real, true rest that you offer us in Jesus. Rest from our own guilt and shame, uh, confident of what you've done in the Lord Jesus. He died in our place to release us from the burden of our sin. Father, we do pray that we here at St. Matt's that we would be those who listen obediently, we respond in faith and we act in wisdom to not turn away, to have Bibles open all the time that would be encouraging each other to drink deeply of this word so that you may take us to this eternal rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us. We're going to sing again.
chance to ask questions this week. Um, they don't just have to be from uh, this passage of, of Hebrews that we heard about um, uh, today, but they can be from any part of Hebrews. Uh, and I've invited uh, Simon and Andy to come up and, uh, and help answer those questions. They might not know the answers to everything, but um, hopefully they'll be able to give us some good insight. Uh, now, Andy, when you, when you say might not, definitely won't. <laughs> just to clarify, yep. Um, we're, at the end, we'll all have the chance to grade them on which has answered the best as yeah, well. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. We'll, now, do a, we'll do a who answered the best and who looks the best one. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, now, <laughs> we all know. We all know Andy. Um, Simon is not just someone random. I've pulled out the congregation to test their knowledge and whether they've been paying attention. Sorry, you'll be here next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Could be you. No, um, Simon. What do you do during the day? Uh, I teach at Moore College, which yeah. is the place that trains ministers 
uh, for the Anglican Church and lots of other ministers. Yep. And do you teach on the New Testament and Hebrews? Uh, not so much. Not so much. Okay. I'm mostly so, so Andy's in with a chance, yeah, that's yeah. what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but you still, I, I know you and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you, I'm, I'm sure Simon you'll have Simon taught me everything I say. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, how this will work is if you just want to throw your hand up and shout something out um, to these guys, um, that would be... Um, that would be great. Um, so, I mean, I've got a list of questions, but I will give people the chance Manuel to. Manuel has one. Manuel, we've got one, yeah. Yeah, I, um, helpful. So you're talking about the really the tension of um, faith being an active faith. I think is what you're pushing into, uh, and and in lots of ways, when you want, when, when you want when you speak into it, I think it just means that it's not like a past decision you make once and then it has no effect. Uh, becoming a Christian is a is a it's a daily decision to wake up and think is what God has done true and real? Do I trust that? And do I want to live for the risen Lord Jesus each day? And I think we experience the tension of the complete work of Christ, his death, resurrection in our place, but also the reality that he calls us to strive, <laughs> to continue with him. Um, now, Philippians 2 kind of I know that I had it in there, like to try to describe the, you know, the Philippians two. We did Philippians last year, where it says, you know, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we do. Why? For he says, for it is God who works in you. <laughs> so you, we're in this tension of, it's it's holy God. Salvation is given to us, yet He works in us to trust and to follow Him. Yeah. I think there's a, an example in Hebrews 2 of exactly kind of how this works that's relevant, really relevant for us today. So Hebrews 2, he's unpacking Psalm 8. That's that Psalm, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man. That and um, at one level, that's just pointing us to Jesus and that we should have trust in Jesus and Jesus is the one who has that place. Uh, but actually, as he unpacks it, it's not only about Jesus, it's about us now as well. And so it's describing those who have faith in Jesus in these very, very kind of high terms. So one of the things that happens as you come to trust in Jesus is that you are released from that pressure of having to earn your kind of stripes. Um, so I read a, an article in the newspaper yesterday uh, that said... Um, uh, the influences are not okay. I don't know if anybody's read that. But it, it's an article that describes how the, in the world of social media, there is so much pressure to prove who you are, to, um, to prove your worth, your value. And kind of that's worse for people who make a living out of doing that. But for all of us, that pressure is there. But if you are in Christ, you have been made just a little lower than the angels. 
and all of creation uh, is here. You, you have a position by faith in Jesus, um, which, no matter what your Facebook profile is like, <laughs> makes you incredibly worth, um, worthy in the eyes of God. That's the kind of rest you have now, I think. Just one example. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll just repeat the question if, if you didn't hear at the back. So, so Hendry is saying, we don't know who wrote. We're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews. Um, so why is it in the Bible? Um, you know, uh, and what is, is there another voice that we might hear today at the start of, of Hebrews chapter 1? It says God uh, in these final days has spoken through his son. What if there's another voice? Are there angels today who might, who might speak to us? Mm. Simon, do you want to... Sure. Um, uh, there's some really fascinating history behind all of this. So it is the only book uh, of the New Testament that we don't know who wrote. Uh, so it is really odd like that. Um, what's fascinating is we have collections of books of the New Testament that churches in the first century uh, kind of held together uh, because they didn't come bound in one book. They were all these separate scrolls. But in every collection that we have... The book of Hebrews is included right from the start. So there's this really early testimony that this book was a part of the collection right from the very beginning. Um, so even though we don't know who wrote it, we can't find a, a, a strong Christian community that had a collection of books of the New Testament that didn't have this in there. And that's quite remarkable. Um, one of the other things is, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as we're reading through Hebrews, it is just like he can't get through a sentence without quoting the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? There's just... So in one sense, this is a sermon that is, is just restating all kinds of things that were already said in the Bible. And I think that's part of the reason uh, why it's its place has never really been questioned. Because even if you took Hebrews out of the Bible, uh, what you'd end up with is you'd have to work out what to do with all these bits of the Old Testament. So more than anything else, Hebrews is telling us how to read the Old Testament. Uh, and again, uh, because it's to the Hebrews, to the Jews, that makes perfect sense that it had that approach. Yeah. Yeah, at the back, Nicola. Sure, yeah, I think there's, um, uh, there's a couple of things going on here. So the, uh, one is angels are created, uh, but they're, they're not created human. They're created um, spiritual beings, if you like. Uh, and 
um, throughout the, the Old Testament, there's interesting kind of examples where angels take on human form. Uh, so the angel of the Lord appears as a man, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but at every time when somebody becomes aware that they're speaking to an angel, they fall flat in their face in terror because they're conscious that this is a heavenly being rather than an earthly being. So that's the sense in which we're created a little lower, if you like. Um, but the end of Hebrews 1 says, uh, yes, but the angels were created to serve you. Uh, and so uh, from, from 1 Peter, the idea that there are things uh, that angels would have loved to have, been, have known, but that have been revealed now to us. Um, that, that they are sent to serve us. They serve us in some senses, in, in the greater sense, I think, as messengers of God. That's, that's what an angel is, is a, uh, somebody who comes to bring a message from God. Uh, but they themselves are serving us. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, so when you think about angels and you think about how awesome they are, the Bible never takes away from that awesome picture of angels. But in Christ, we have a position that they would love to have. So. I think we might have to wrap it up there because we are short on time. We've already gone quite long. And like I had a heap of questions that I pre yeah that I was ready with that I didn't get to ask. Uh, we only answered half of Hendry's. Um, if you would like, you might have your own questions. If you would like to know more. There is an upcoming night. It's called a Hebrew stretch night, I think. And that's not physically stretching. I think we have a slide. Um, I think that's on, yes. That will be on Thursday, the 15th of June. So that's, that's still um, a few weeks away. Um, if you want to know more about Hebrews, I, and I think we have a guest speaker um, who'll be particularly talking uh, about the topic of... Um, uh, can Christians fall away? How do you how do you finish the race? Uh, since we have already yeah, received that salvation, what does that mean uh, for us? So that'll be a great opportunity if you can get along to that. That'll be over again at, our, at Wild Street Church in Maribra um, at 7.30 and it should be a really uh, good night to, uh, to dig a bit deeper into Hebrews. There's always more to know. But thank you, Simon. Thank you, Andy. We're going to sing our final song together now. Please stand. Sure.